electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be able to make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you on days like today. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I have a question. Since when did optimism become such a darn scarce commodity on Wall Street? After a day where the Dow surged 535 points, S&P up 1.71%, NASDAQ pulled 1.73%, I think it's time to rethink the pervasive sense of pessimism and gloom that has set in over the last six weeks. Pessimism that is occasionally busted by one of these one-day skyrockets. Now, some would say today's move is merely a relief rally after so much negativity. Others might call it a joke of a move that will suck people in and cause them to lose fortunes. You could argue it's an earnings rally after superb numbers from Bank of America, United Health, and Morgan Stanley, which is closer to the truth. But I think it's bigger than that. This rally is about the common sense realization that our current problems can be fixed as companies turn challenges into opportunities. No, it's not a cliche. Focus! You would know that for most of the media covers, because journalists love to ask people about what's going wrong, what keeps them up at night. You know what keeps me up at night? I'll tell you what keeps me up at night. This thing, this ragu, he keeps getting into bed. That's what keeps me up at night. Anyway, you, you try to talk about what's going right, you're branded an idiot. The easiest way to sound smart on television is by being really negative. Then you get a lot of extra credibility, especially if you're rich. These people, these negative nabobs, they always sound so insightful when they rant about how we're headed for disaster. Sometimes I listen, I wax poetic, I say, oh, my God, oh, jeez, I mean, wow, it's going to happen. But historically, the bulls have done much better long term than the bears. So maybe the bearish billionaires aren't actually the smartest guys in the room. Maybe they were just maybe they just made it over a couple of quarters. You know, they got it right. Now all we ever hear about is how brilliant they are. Don't take it from me, though. I was searching and searching and searching for a analog, and I found it. I want you to take it from arguably the most visibly smart person in America today. He's a man by the name of Matt Amodio. 
He's the guy who just won 38 straight games of Jeopardy, bagging $1.5 million in one of the longest winning streaks ever. David Faber, my partner on Squawk in the Street, got to meet this young man during the week that he guest hosted, and he crushed it, Jeopardy. And uh, he came on our morning show today. Naturally, we asked him what he's going to do with the $1.5 million. Listen to Matt's answer. I'm going to do long-term invest and hold. So uh, I, I'm, I'm not there on the uh, day-to-day trading. Uh, it's too much for me to keep track of. But, you know, index funds uh, paired with a small amount of bonds with yearly uh, uh, rebalancing. Like, what? How can you go wrong, right? Can you not love that guy? I think the pessimist would dismiss the man you just heard as someone who just fell off of a turnip truck, even though he's a full-time graduate student from New Haven, if you catch my drift, who cleaned up on Jeopardy. I think he's smart as a whip, especially when he went on to say that he'd deploy the bond portion of his money because it's short-term to buy stocks if there was a market plunge. He has faith in the market as a wealth creator. He is who I want you to be. Now, is Matt Amodio really the smartest man in America right now? <laughs> All right. Hey, you try winning Jeopardy 38 times in a row. Okay, me aside, he's certainly not dumb money. And I got to tell you, my family's a Jeopardy family, so this guy is a family hero. Now, let me tell you why Matt will be right and the doom and gloom sayers will be wrong. The bears are just so cynical, so jaded, that they've forgotten the lessons of history. Time and again, we've had looming catastrophes that just sort of faded away as people took action to stop them, like Cyprus. I don't know if you remember, there was a period where Cyprus was supposed to end the universe. You know, Fukushima, end the universe. Three Mile Island, end the universe. Didn't happen. And yet, that's where we find ourselves now. I think the problems plaguing this economy are preludes to nothing. They aren't arbingers of disaster. They may not even rise to a financial disaster for $200 Jeopardy question. As long as the bears don't scare you away from the market, as long as you can withstand the withering interstitial machine gun fire that they throw at you every single day, then you can make it to the promised land of milk and honey. Yes, terrific days like today. I say that as someone who was very bearish for most of September in the first week of October, but now that the seasonally weak period is drawing to a close, I have no choice but to get more constructive so I don't come in here one day and say, I'm bullish! No, as I said, you you get to the end of the month, you got to be more bullish. First, let's take the poor congestion issue, which has got everybody so scared all of a sudden, right? It's been going on for months, but now we're suddenly discovering about it. We've got lots of ships with lots of cargo, too much cargo. So they're just sitting there waiting to be unloaded. We need more longshoremen to do the unloading. Intractable? No, beatable. Somehow this story, which has been simmering for months, I mean, literally months, with everyone involved blaming everyone else, finally got the attention of the president of the United States. Whether you love Biden or hate him, he brought everyone who stands to gain from fixing this problem together. And while I'm sure the first Band-Aids won't work, eventually we get the job done. Some people will be making a lot more money, including Uber truck drivers, as you will hear tonight. And some businesses will have to slightly lower their margins. And a lot of poor prices will be over. It'll be over. What about all this nonsense about how your packages won't get there in time for Christmas? I mean, I mean... Can we just talk about a first world problem, please? Some sure, yeah, yeah, sure, some companies might not have enough merchandise, but their competitors will. That's just the brutal Darwinian logic of capitalism slash retail. The bold fact is the Grinch ain't getting this one. And look, if you're really worried about the holidays, you still got two, more than two months to go. I mean, go to the Internet, okay? Concocted story. Second, uh, semiconductor shortage. Yes, practically everything that needs chips is being cut back. Apple even, the auto companies, the appliance makers, it's hitting everybody. We just heard from Taiwan Semi, the biggest chip manufacturer in the world, reported a terrific quarter just last night because demand is off the charts. However, if you listen to the conference call, 
You know that Taiwan Semi doesn't make many automotive chips as a percentage of its whole book of business. They ain't no savior. What's going to happen now? In a rational world, and you know that I think this world is at least semi-rational, companies won't simply sit there and do nothing. If I were running an automaker, say Ford, I'd call the major semiconductor companies and say, who wants to cooperate with me on a new foundry by putting up all the money that we need to get equipment from Lam Research, KLA, Applied Materials, the testing companies, clean rooms, those really cool uh, you know, shower caps you got to put on? We keep hearing, well, some do, we keep hearing that all these auto chips make so little money for the semiconductor manufacturers, that they just aren't worth it. As though the price is somehow set in stone. You know how wrong this is? Maybe these chips only cost 2 or $3 a piece in the past, but now they're worth thousands of dollars in lost sales to Ford and GM. So why wouldn't they just find a partner and make their own, even if it costs $200 per, per chip? I can solve this for them myself. I know how to do it. I went to the Israeli Intel Fab on a Saturday. I was the only one there. Anyway, I can go on and on about these terrible tales of financial terror. And that won't even rise to a single daily double jeopardy. I don't like those ones, too, where someone's singing and stuff. Let's stick to the real stuff. But let me leave you with one more. Wall Street's tearing its hair out. Good luck. About all the lost workers and beleaguered consumers who are supposedly being eaten alive by inflation. Right? I mean, woohoo. But if you listen to the Bank of America or Morgan Stanley conference calls, you know that the consumer is maybe the most flush in my lifetime. My lifetime has been, I've been around for a while. In fact, among the less wealthy, on average, people are five times more flushed than they were before the pandemic began. You heard me, 5X. The real trouble comes when people are in debt. Not when they're in cash, for heaven's sake. Right now, though, consumer balance sheets are so strong that it's obvious we have a labor shortage. We need more births in this country. We need more immigration. You'll hear about that from Domino's. Many of the missing workers are people who stepped away from the workforce because they can afford to take some time off. Maybe there are a lot of people after 700 deaths and so many 20 million people that may have uh, long COVID. Whatever, maybe there are a lot of people who, who want to rethink their lives. Actually take the time to ponder because they have the money and they can. Here's a question for you. Why should pondering only be the province of the rich? Is that really an intractable problem to ponder and think and wonder what you should be doing in your life? Is it even a problem at all? The bottom line I urge you to imagine that the seemingly intractable as tractable. Believe that guys like Matamodia, so cool under fire, are smarter than the permanent bears who somehow never get hassled about being wrong, but are catered to and treated like royalty. And I hate it. Let's all be a little less cynical so we can try to make a little more money for all the people who don't have enough. Let's go to Jerry in Nevada, please, Jerry. Hey, Jim Buddha, thanks for taking my call. Jerry, it is my pleasure, and how can I help you, sir? Yeah, I've got two stocks, Jim, or cruise line stocks, CCL, NCLH. That's easy. That's easy. Frank Del Rio. Let's stay focused, Jerry. Let's stay focused. Jerry, listen to me. Norwegian Cruise Line, that Haven Line, I am telling you, I am thinking about doing, I'm not kidding, I'm going to say it right now, a series of cruises for the investment club, and I would do it on Norwegian Cruise. And I do it with Frank Del Rio, not just because they have these really cool long drinking cups, or because my daughter had a dynamite time on a Norwegian Cruise Line. So that's the one, best balance sheet in the industry, and the guy who stood up to the governor of Florida and fought for safety. That, again, you know, that fight against safety is something. It's, it's like, we need fewer sprinklers. Let's have fewer safety. We need fewer fire extinguishers. That's how we'll make the quarter. Tom in Illinois, please, Tom. Go ahead, Tom. Speak up. 
Oh, Jim, thanks for taking my call. No problem. I'm a longtime viewer, and I just joined your investing club. Yes. I love it. I love it. It's great detailed insight into these companies. Like, we are working I, our butt off. I mean, like we put out like six notes today. Our stuff on Wells Fargo, I think, was unstoppable. And I really, really think that when, you're, when you see what we're coming up with Morgan Stanley, it is so – what am I doing? It's so good. Thank you for joining. How can I help? Um, what I'm interested in today is MasterCard. What's your thinking on uh, MasterCard these days? You know, because you're a member of the club, Tom. You know, I am beating myself up. I last time I come home, 11.30, out of dinner, and my wife says, how was the day? And I said, MasterCard. She said, what? What, you lose your MasterCard? I said, no, it keeps going down, and it shouldn't. And it's not about buy now, pay later, and the quarter's going to be great, and it's all about how it's paper to plastic, and no one's listening. But Jerry's listening. I love the club. MasterCard is good here. I think it's going to have a great quarter. I think it's a buy. I'm not worried about buying. I'll pay later or firm. I think it's real good, and I think you should buy some. Why do you think they wouldn't call it Ma? That's the symbol. If it were bad, is any Ma bad? Think about it. All right. It's time to rethink this pervasive sense of pessimism in the market. I think today's rally was actually a bit about common sense. A common sense realization that our current problems are actually fixable. Maybe they're even opportunities like what Uber's doing in freight. Let's all be a little less cynical. Hey, I'm in favor of pondering. I, I, I think pondering is okay. The rich cannot be the only people who are allowed to ponder. There's a cause. On Man Money Tonight, despite reporting slower same-store sales growth domestically, Domino stock was able to claw back from its lows during the conference call. I'm discussing what investors liked about the quarter of the CEO. Then Dutch Bro hit the market with a bang. And I'm percolating with reasons why this West Coast coffee chain and my favorite drink of the world, the Annihilator, could be a winner. And the American Truck Association, actually, it's not a society, said the U.S. is going to need 1.1 million truckers in the next 10 years to meet demand. I'm going to talk to the head of Uber Freight. Let's learn more about this critical industry. And I want you to stay with the club and stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. 
with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the end of an era. This morning, Domino's Pizza, along one of my favorite stocks, reported its first quarter of negative same-store sales in over a decade. Though, to be fair, that's only because they were up against some impossible year-over-year comparisons, and they had to shorten store hours in some places due to the labor shortage. That's why this stock got hit this morning. It's more than 4% of its lows. Then a funny thing happened. Conference call got started. The stock made up all its losses, eventually finishing the day in positive territory. Why? Because, one, their international same-store sales up were up 8.8%. And because Domino's still delivered a 13-cent earnings beat off the $3.11 basis at a time when everyone was worried about rising costs. Couldn't even tell. Plus, they're expanding uh, rapidly this quarter. The company put up nearly four new stores Per day? Even in a tough environment, there's a lot to like about this one. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Rich Allison. He's the CEO of Domino's Pizza to get a better read on the quarter. Mr. Allison, welcome back to Bad Money. Hi, Jim. Good to be with you. You know something, Rich? After this, after your interview, I'm going to go down to Philadelphia and go watch Tom Brady play against the Eagles. And no, Tom Brady's going to lose. He has to eventually. I feel the same way about your quarter. You had to, the streak eventually had to be broken. No one has a streak like that. But tell us why people didn't care because of how strong the momentum is. Yeah, Jim, you know, the, the comp in the U.S. was negative, but rolling over, you know, the biggest number we've had as a public company. But when you look more broadly at the engine that really drives, you know, our business and our economics, it's retail sales growth. And retail sales growth was up 8.5%. You know, on a trailing four-quarter basis, we opened over 1,100 net stores. So, you know, the long-term, you know, drivers of the business were all intact for the quarter, and I think we got some appreciation for that as the day went on. Well, you know, Rich, I was thinking that uh, most companies put up stores in order to please Wall Street. I think you put up stores to please people. Uh, you don't have too, you don't have enough stores in parts of this uh, parts of this world. I mean, you're very understored around the globe, aren't you? We are, uh, Jim, and that's both here in the U.S., you know, where we believe, you know, the market will support 8,000-plus Domino's pizzas. You know, we're just around 6,500 today. And, you know, outside the U.S., we've got significant runway for growth, you know, almost 12,000 outside the U.S. with significant uh, open space. I mean, in China— you know, we just recently passed 400 units and, you know, pick a number as to how many we could ultimately have there. Now, in China, you have made for made for Chinese by Chinese. Right. Same thing as Starbucks. What the government really, truly does like the government wants more of that. And that's really our model, Jim, everywhere around the world. You know, the beauty of this master franchise model is that we have local owners and operators who understand the consumer locally. They buy 
product locally. They employ local team members. And Domino's really becomes a great engine for economic growth in the countries that we operate in. And I think governments around the world appreciate that. Well, you know, you also gave what I felt was the most, uh, I'd say, clear and realistic approach to what's going on with labor in this country in your conference call. Uh, you even did. You even touched the third rail. You said something that I feel as a restaurateurs, we don't have that much in the way of immigration. Now, immigrants historically in this country have taken jobs at Domino's. Then they've built up and run the Domino's. Then they become millionaires from driver to millionaire. But we don't have enough people at that top of the funnel anymore, do we? Yeah, Jim, you know, it's, it's a challenge, you know, in, uh, in the U.S. with, you know, minimal population growth organically, you know, we do, we need immigration, you know, in our, in our industry to continue to, you know, to, to have enough team members, you know, in the restaurant industry. And as you said, ultimately, you know, folks who want to, who want to work hard, want to stay with the business for a long period of time can end up being owners and entrepreneurs. And it's just, as I travel around, the country and talk to our franchisees, so many of whom followed that path. It, it's inspiring, uh, Jim. Uh, it, it truly is. Now, there is this disparity I thought was interesting when you talk about the company-owned stores. They were down 8.9, and the franchise was down 1.5. It's where the company-owned store stores are. Now, you're committed to those company-owned stores, right? I mean, you think that's important to have? We absolutely are, uh, Jim. And, you know, we own stores really for three reasons. You know, one is we need to lead, you know, as the owners of the brand, it's very important that we understand what our franchisees see and feel every day. And it gives us an opportunity to try new things in the business and prove them out. You know, second, it gives us a great avenue to develop people who ultimately work with our franchisees or maybe even become franchisees. You know, and then third, we love the economics uh, of the stores. So even, you know, even though we've had a little bit more pressure from the more urban and affluent environment that our corporate stores are in. Now, these are still great cash on cash return businesses for them. And I want to build more of them. Oh, terrific. OK, because I always want to understand it's a bit of a yardstick, but also it's great for business. Now, uh, you're at the forefront of all innovation when it comes to pretty much everything. And I now realize there's a, a genuine need. You, you got to do driverless. If we're having problems with immigration, we're having problems getting people in the funnel. You have to do driverless. Where are we with driverless in this country? So we've been doing our latest phase of testing, you know, down in uh, Houston. We were doing it over the summer, running real deliveries to real customers in partnership with Neuro. Uh, and we're learning a lot, uh, Jim. You know, we're learning a lot about how the, uh, the robot interacts with our stores, how the robot interacts with our customers. And then Neuro's learning a lot about autonomous delivery in a real-world environment. So we keep advancing the ball forward. You know, once that once production of these robots, you know, gets to an efficient scale where it becomes cost effective, we want to be out there on the forefront. It'll never you know, it'll never fully replace hiring drivers. And we want those drivers because they ultimately become franchisees. But I do envision in the future we'll deliver a lot of food uh, via autonomous delivery. It, it does seem to me maybe you can explain this to me, Rich. A lot of people talk autonomous. I, I think you're the only guy who's doing autonomous. Why is it that? There's such a big game being talked, but some, the only companies really put them into use is you. Yeah, well, you know, you've known us for a good while, Jim. We're pretty crazy about everything that has to do with making pizza and getting it to consumers. So we really wanted to be out there on the forefront, not only because we need to be ready when it actually comes to fruition, but 
But also, you know, you saw us advertising it on TV. Yeah. It's all part of, you know, the brand um, that we're building, you know, in the minds of consumers, which is around great pizza and maniacal innovation around how we make it and get it to you. Well, that's why we love the pizza. That's why we love the stock. We love what you're doing, too, Rich Allison. I know the streak's been broken, but you got to look at it over a two-year basis. And over two years, still better than almost every restaurant chain in the world. Rich Allison, CEO of Domino's Man Money, is back here for the break. Coming up, is there a bitter rivalry percolating in the Java trade? Kramer will take a triple venti cap with skim wet. Order up next. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. I always say beware the hype. When a beloved brand comes public with a bang and then its stock keeps soaring, you need to exercise some restraint because sometimes these deals are too hot to handle. Even ones I love. Take Dutch Pro. The Oregon-based coffee chain that had its public debut a month ago. Now, I love Dutch Bro. I used to go there all the time when my daughter lived in Ashland, Oregon. I, I'm telling you, addicted to this stuff. The coffee is incredible. They got these really cool parking lot kiosks. And the Annihilator, that may be the hottest octane drink I have ever had. And I crave octane in my coffee. But after another 4% rally today, the stock is scolding hot. I don't know what to do. I don't want you to get burned. I want you in the stock so bad, but I'm afraid I'm going to hurt you. See, Dutch Bro came public at 23 bucks last month, well above the proposed price range. Then it traded, it opened at 32.50, giving anyone who got in on the deal a huge gain. But then within days, it had spiked to the mid-50s. It just kept going and going. Although it pulled back to $41 last week when the market was rolling over. It's rebounded like crazy over the last two days, trading back up to 53. Why the recovery? Because the quiet period for analyst coverage ended, and a host of bullish analysts just rushed to initiate coverage. I get that. By my count, Dutch Bro now has eight buy ratings and only one hold. And it's kind of a cold thing. I remember saying to my daughter, let's go to a Dutch Brothers. And she's like, Dad, it's Dutch Bro. Everybody knows it's Dutch Bro. Who knows it was Dutch Bro? You know, what's it look like to you? Anyway, initially I was cautious on the stock. No, after, you know, an open 32, I said, wow, that's, but I, I worried that it'd come up too far too fast. But after seeing these bullish initiations, I know I'm probably too conservative because the numbers are incredible. Unfortunately, I still fear that Dutch Pro may be, let's say, too hot to burn you. There is a price where I'd be telling you to buy this one hand over fist, but it, it's not 53. It's not 60 either where I sense it's headed. Allow me to explain. 
First, as a business, I can't praise Dutch Bro enough. They give you delicious, high-quality coffee. Very powerful coffee. And they serve it fast with a brilliant drive-through operation. They were, they were way ahead of the curve on handling throughput, which meant Dutch Bro was perfectly positioned for the pandemic. More important, this is a stunning regional to national growth story, and we love those. See, Dutch Bro had a 471 locations in 11 states at the end of June, and they still got a ton of room to expand around the country. I mean, look at this map. Now, of course, I went to this one, to this one, this one, five times to this one, many times to this one, and this one is killer. Maybe the best of all. They're huge in the Pacific Northwest, and the footprint's gradually spreading throughout the Southwest, although they're just getting started. If Oregon, my beloved Oregon, can support 153 locations, and there's like nobody in Oregon, you have to believe they can squeeze a lot more out of than 89 stores in California, seven in Texas. They can put up 7,000, and that's before they even touch the rest of the country. Long-term management thinks they can put up 4,000 stores nationwide before the saturation. I think that's way too low. I think they can do many more than that. They've already identified two. 50 new sites. Again, they only had 471 stores at the end of June. So the growth pipeline is locked and loaded. And it's, look at the part. Look at this. I remember when, when uh, Dunkin' Donuts was had to go east to west and people just said, oh, well, Jim, you shouldn't like that stock. But it went up and up and up as they put more and more stores. That's Dutch bro going this way. It is going to be incredible. It's no surprise that people look at Dutch Bro and see the last big coffee chain that got its start in the Pacific Northwest and then took the world by storm. Yeah, no kidding. But I'm not really talking about here. I'm talking about Starbucks. Like Starbucks, they got an ethos, though it's very different from Starbucks. Dutch Bro is very, very focused on the customer experience, and so is Kevin Johnson Starbucks. But listen to me. They don't just remember your name. Their system remembers your past orders. I'm telling you, it's surreal. They had my annihilator drink down. After just a half dozen visits, I felt like Dutch Bro was my home. At the same time, the drive through concept, it's not that good. You're in a kiosk. It's not a great home. But I lived in my car for a while, so it wasn't so bad. It allows them to handle a ton of volume. The stores are typically less than 1,000 square feet, but they stick them on 25,000 square foot lots to handle all the car volume. That's allowed them to put up some magnificent numbers. Okay, get this. Last year, Dutch Bro store, which is just, again, the size of like this, okay? It's like this. I'm not kidding. It's like that, okay? Where'd those lines go? Um, An average unit volume of $1.7 million. Can you imagine a space this big? Makes them among the best in the beverage business. Maybe the best. It's an insanely high amount. Average check size, roughly $7.50. Coffee's not cheap. Excellent for beverage chain. Their new drive through focus shops are designed specifically to capture demand during peak hours have generated 40% more sales than the older models. On average, they expect new locations to generate two-year cash on cash returns ranging from 35 to 75%. It's ludicrous. While more than half of their locations are currently franchises, management now focuses more on company-owned stores because the unit economics are just too attractive to pass up. Okay, that's Chipotle. And look, business is indeed booming. In the first six months of the year, Dutch Pro had 8.2% same store sales growth, and that number was 9.6% for the company-owned stores. Just as important, they're putting up new stores like crazy. Remember, this is a regional and national growth story. I keep emphasizing that because it's the best kind. It means it's all about expansion. In the last 12 months, they added 70 locations. That's a 17% increase year over year. I think they're putting up too slow. Put it all together, and Dutch Pro racked up 51% revenue growth in the first half, a major, re- a major acceleration from the 33% compounded annual growth rate over the pre- 
previous three years. Even better, the company's profitable. Although in recent years, their earnings have taken a hit as employees cash in on their stock options. However, when you look at the earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, that's EBITDA for short, you can see a pretty clear positive trajectory. From $40 million in 2018, $70 million last year, just in the first half of 2021 came in at nearly $46 million. That's up 29% year over year. So I, it is killing me. I would love to recommend the Annihilator's parent, Dutch Bro. I think you got, they got some bright future. I want you to have a piece of it. But I, I can't just do it. I can't just say, today is the day to buy Dutch Bro, which brings me to my one concern. Problem is, it's, in, it, it's one of those situations where I would say, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's just valuation. There isn't anything else wrong with this thing. Nothing. It, but it's an overwhelming concern. Dutch Bro currently has a market capitalization of roughly $8.7 billion. You could argue that Wall Street is valuing each store. Remember, the kiosk will give you that size again. Kiosk is $18.4 million. $18.4 million for this, okay? Do you think this is worth it if I had a little, you know, a thing, right? Uh, although a little, it's a little reductive because people like this, uh, this one for all the new stores they'll put up, that's how you have to, you can't just look at it like in a constant state. Still, when you run the same, same numbers for Starbucks, each store is valued at less than $4 million. No wonder the Starbucks people didn't like it when I suggested they buy Dutch Bro after I became a regular at their Ashland stores and discovered if I had a, an annihilator on Thursday, I did not need to go to sleep till Saturday. What if we judge it based on EBITDA? There are, or instead of just octane, there are a lot of bullish analysts who, uh, here who expect the company to do $73 million in EBITDA this year. Meaning the stock's trading at just 120 times that number. Not 120 times earnings, but 120 times earnings before all the bad stuff gets subtracted. Even if we use the estimates for the out years, it's selling for nearly 40 times the EBITDA consensus for 2024. By comparison, Starbucks trades at 20 times this year's EBITDA estimates. That's not the best compare because Starbucks is much further along in its life cycle. But even a smaller, faster-growing chain like one that we like called Wingstop trades at 58 times EBITDA, less than half what people are willing to pay for the Dutch Bro. So let me tell you what I'm concerned about. My chief concern is that rather than being the next Starbucks, Dutch Bro maybe could be the next Shake Shack. That's another chain that I love to go to. Shake Shack came public at 21 nearly seven years ago. Then the stock jumped to just under 46 at the end of its first day. Within a few months, it had reached the 90s. But a year later, Shake Shack had sunk to the 30s because the stock was simply too hot. If you bought Shake Shack down there, you've done very well for yourself, but you had to wait for the right moment. And by the way, Shake Shack did not have the kind of growth ahead, even you know, it's great growth, but nothing like the bro. Bottom line, when a great company like Dutch Bro has a super hyped IPO and the stock explodes higher because people like the product so much, you got to keep the bat on the shoulder. I think you can start buying this one if it, if it drops down to 40 or some sort of crazy sell-off. But I wouldn't be surprised if it gets there when the lockup on insider selling exp- expires next year. But this is one of the rare times that I have to tell you, I want you in this stock. I just don't want you in this stock at this price. Let's go to Tyler, Massachusetts, please. Tyler. Hey, Jim. Big booyah from you. Booyah back. All right. I just had a quick question about Boston Beer Company. I just want to get your take on it after being 60% down. Is it a buy or a sell? No, I mean, look, it, it, yeah, I had to deal with Constellation the other day. And Constellation had a bad miss on, uh, on this hard seltzer. Can you imagine if, like, most of your business is hard seltzer? That's Sam. That's Boston Beer. I said stay away from it for about 400 points, and I'm reiterating, I don't want you in that stock. I'd rather have you in the Dutch Bro. And when a beloved brand like Dutch Bro comes public with a bang and stock keeps soaring, I am saying that as great as these are, they're a little calorie prone, I have to tell you. Uh, you, you got to exercise some restraint, and I love this stuff. 
I don't want you to get burned by the, one of the greatest coffee chain ideas that is being executed right now in this country. I think you start buying the stock of Dutch Bro under 40, much more man money ahead. But keep it in mind, I have to exercise caution. And if you sneak a few shares in right now, I get it. We're going to have Uber Freight on later. That Amid a trucker shortage, how is this important division of Uber working to ease the tension, a division that you've never heard of? I'm talking to the co-founder and head, of this, and head of that division. Then there's a lot to be said about today's amazing quarter for Bank of America, but there's one that hasn't been said, and I'm going to tell you about it. The Annihilator. Oh, man. I could, if when the, After the Eagles win, I could have five Annihilators, and then I'd see you on Wednesday. All right. All your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Can the White House save Christmas? Yesterday, President Biden finally took action, finally, to solve the supply chain crisis, bringing together business and labor leaders while unveiling a number of initiatives designed to get goods moving again, as I talked about at the top of the show. But it's not like the president can just snap his fingers and make these problems go away. He needs a lot of help to get this done because the logistics space is a mess right now. Who has solutions? Hey, how about Uber Freight, which is Uber's shipping-focused subsidiary? They handle freight the same way their parent company handles ride sharing by connecting independent truckers with businesses that need something shipped. I keep telling you we've got a shortage of truck drivers in this country, in part because companies don't want to pay people enough and maybe also because people are worried about going into it if there's going to be autonomous driving. So Uber Freight's more dynamic model could be just what the doctor ordered. So let's take a closer look at the supply chain crunch with someone I've come to love and respect. His name is Leo Ron, and he's the co-founder and head of Uber Freight. Mr. Ron, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you so much, Jim. Thanks for having me back. Okay, will you please solve the trucker crisis for us? <laughs> I'll snap my fingers and hopefully we can solve it. But it really uh, requires the entire industry because we are facing just unprecedented times. We're literally living in a shipping Armageddon. But is it not true that if you pay people enough, they will take these jobs, they'll work for Uber, get connected with some big companies, and we can at least make a dent at this problem of not having enough truckers. We can make a dent. If you just zoom out and see what's happening around us, we're just ordering more and more and more packages that we love to consume to our doorstep. But uh, the supply chain is completely imbalanced. You saw that in ports, same with trucks. The entire network is different. And if you think about truck drivers that in the end of the day, need to move those goods, it's harder for them to be on the road. There's better alternative in driving closer to home and maybe doing last mile delivery. Um, and we're asking them to do more and more and more. And maybe they don't want to have in, even go on the road because they have to be stuck in facilities or they have to take on health concerns. So it requires all of us. And yes, I think we could make a difference with technology. This is what we have been doing for the past couple of years. We now have over 1 million truck drivers on the network with the Uber Freight app. So we can find them opportunities with those big companies faster. We can find them and utilize their trucks and fill their empty miles faster. We can provide them more opportunity to structure the week and month faster. We can pay them faster. So we can definitely make a dent with technology, and we are, but it requires more, to your point. Some of it is also about wages. Well, okay, so let's understand this. Um, it, we always hear uh, that there are many people who are unemployed in this country. We still have 4.8% unemployed. Doesn't a truck driver make a decent living now? 
the truck driver is making a okay living, but they can probably make, if they want to actually prioritize family time and build a family, they can probably make as good as a living driving for an Uber or any other last mile delivery or even taking a construction job oh. and staying close with uh, the family. And uh, they might be making a decent living where on the road moving, but remember, their life is being stuck six hours on average a day in a facility waiting to be loaded and unloaded, not being paid or being stuck in the entrance to the port, waiting to find that container, not being paid. So actually, if you step back, a lot of the time is not utilized, and that's where technology can really help. Okay, I thing. did not know that. I did not know that. So in other words, one of the problems is, is that they're waiting around because we can't figure out who does the last mile or we can't put this, figure out where, the, where in the warehouse it is. How can tech change this? Because this seems like an awful waste of people's lives, six hours waiting here, six hours waiting there. We can make them more productive. We can inform them on what's happening in those facilities. We can point them to facilities that can actually be more effective than others. We can find them opportunities where they don't have to drive 200 miles empty between two different opportunities, but they can drive across the road and pick up a load of another shipper and just be more productive um, with their time. Do you the other th- thing that... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, the other thing that we're seeing, Jim, and you spoke about it, is uh, if trucking uh, companies are not paying enough, what we do see is a resurrection of capitalism at its best, where a lot of truck drivers are choosing to leave the big fleets and strike it on their own because they can make a higher living and because platforms like Uber Freight can actually fill their trucks much more easily. So we are now seeing 3x more new authorities and new truck driving companies entering the market than any other year in history. Well, that's a great story. Why aren't we hearing that story? That's a very positive story. It's a great story because, yes, there is shortage. But if you're looking under the hood, this is a structural change. It's much easier now to start a truck driving company. It's much easier to be paid the very high uh, spot rates that are in the market. And it's much easier to actually run your operation much more efficiently with platforms like Uber Freight. Uh, so it's almost like a golden age now, actually, for the small guys, for those brave mom and pop shop that have one, two, five trucks that can now strike it on their own and actually make a decent living. Five, well, it four or five years ago, you predicted this to me, and I didn't believe it. You told me that Uber could revolutionize it and give, take the power back to the driver and that the driver would therefore become empowered and do well. So your view, your mission is actually happening now. This is what we have built uh, for over the past five years. We've always believed we can bring the driver back in control, equip them with the technology, empower them to be in control of how they want to spend their time. And we're seeing that uh, more and more, and we're not uh, done yet. There's a lot that we're planning. Uh, for example, even opening them a bank account, paying them instantly, making them in charge of actually their flow and in and out in a much more better way of the money flow. And they're super excited to see that. And to your point, we've definitely built with that vision in mind, empowering the small truck drivers and allowing them to be so much more efficient with their time. If anyone's going to solve this truck crisis and the trucker crisis, it's going to be you 
and it's going to be Uber because you told me this could happen. I was skeptical. It's happening. I can't believe that we got you back on Leo Ron. It's great to see you again, sir. Really fabulous to have you on that All right. I'll to see, when we get out to San Francisco, we'll go for some hummus together. It's not about Uber in this case. We're not talking about that. We're talking this freight. This man has come up with a solution. And I'm going to tell you, when he blows it out, we're not going to be talking about the trucker shortage anymore. Man, money's back into the Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The Lightning Round is next. It is time. It's time for the Lightning Round. What's up, Rockos? One of those is my And then the Lightning Round. Are you ready? Keep that down low. Kramer's about to start with Kyle. No, no, Kyle. Oh, yeah. Hi, Jim. I have a question about ticker symbol T E L L. All right, Tellurian is the company that Sharif Suki is the uh, chairman of, and I got to tell you, I saw what he did with I saw what he did with Chenier. I think he's going to do with Tellurian. I think it's great spec. Talk about buying it for the club, honestly. Talk about buying it for the club. This and Bunko Santander. Not to admit it, my mind yet. Doug in Michigan, Doug. Yeah, buddy, how we doing? Oh, it's a great day. How about you? Good, good. Uh, got a question on rocket companies. Oh, it's uh, tough. I looked at it yesterday. I said 15. Oh, man, how to get down there? United Wholesale Mortgage. But you know what? The housing market is peaking right now, and it doesn't mean it can't have another revival. But I don't want to be associated with anyone who's really in that business right now. Can I go to Amir in Virginia? But Amir. Jim, how are you doing? I am doing well. How about you? Doing fantastic. Thank you, sir, for everything. I appreciate you. My uh, question for today, the talk I'm calling about, it's ticker HNST, the Honest Company. They're I like earning- Honest Company. If they would come on and make a case, I would recommend it. But unless they come on, no way am I going to recommend it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hot, hot, hot. Make sense of the day's most critical market machinations in no time flat. Stick with Kramer for a special no huddle next. What can I say about the amazing quarter from Bank of America today? They got a huge deposit base of $1.9 trillion. That is up $247 billion year over year. It it truly is the Bank of America. They delivered 12% revenue growth with not much increasing expenses. That means a tremendous amount of that revenue falls directly to the bottom line called leverage. How about the improvement in loan quality coupled with near 50-year low in net charge-offs? Signaling the consumers in fantastic shape. How about the phenomenal growth of Bank of America's digital business, which now has nearly 41 million users, including yours truly? I could go on and on. But frankly, none of those items really interested me this morning as much as pages 6 and 7 of the investment deck. The page is about the, quote, $1.25 billion commitment to address racial equality and economic opportunity via community banking. Now, before you boo me off the stage for talking about how some fat cat bankers are trying to fight inequality, I think it's a mistake to treat this as a joke. Would you prefer they not spend that money trying to make the world a better place? Hey, maybe you think it's hypocritical, but there are worse things than hypocrisy. I'm always saying that business is the greatest platform for social change because, like it or not, business has the power to get things done. And I love that. 
Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America, is one of those rare executives who's actually trying to accomplish something good. This is truly a transformed age, people. As recently as a decade ago, the idea that a bank would have anything to say about racial or economic inequality was unimaginable. Forget putting them on page five and six and slides. I mean, they didn't address the stuff at all. But there's been a sea change in corporate culture pretty much across the board. Now, under Moynihan's leadership, Bank of America is focused on job creation, reskilling, affordable housing, access to health care, and promoting business ownership. This is the stuff that government used to do, but now it's too paralyzed and too broke. Believe me, I'm as surprised as anyone else that the private sector is stepping in so directly. Business may be the greatest source of social change, but for most of my lifetime, business didn't care at all. Now, though, Bank of America has already invested more than $400 million, roughly a third of what they committed over a five-year period. They're investing in the community at a much faster pace than the original plan. They've made $36 million worth of equity investments in minority depository institutions, $300 million worth of direct equity investments in funds to support minority and women entrepreneurs and businesses. Page 7 alone has 17 creative ways the Bank of America is trying to help people get a dignified leg up, not a handout to become financially successful and independent, to empower people. Two quick caveats. Many major banks are doing this stuff like this. Now they're going to be mad at me. I just focus on Bank of America. I've been on site to see some of the incredible things that J.P. Morgan's doing in hitherto unbanked areas. Investment banks are going all in to help the less fortunate. But the real point is that none of these executives had a gun to their head. If Moynihan wanted a bigger earnings beat, he could have just retained these funds as profits. That's not what happened, though. I think he's selling out all this money to fight inequality because it's the right thing to do. You can call it noblesse oblige. You can call it good for business one day. How about the fact that the guy's got a heart? It's a shame that most people's eyes glaze over when they read pages six and seven of the quarterly deck if they bother to get there to begin with. Me, because maybe I'm older, but those are the two pages I now care about the most. And from my perspective, they're looking real good. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 